How would you like to be part of a conversation that changed someone's life or even changed your own life? Welcome to the Be Fun, Be Kind podcast, where we have amazing discussions hosted by someone new each week. Join us at BeFunBeKind.com to be part of our live events. Now, here's your host for this week's episode. So, everybody, today we have a guest whom I've been very much looking forward to uh, by the name of Dr. Lindsay Elmore. And Dr. Elmore is, uh, I guess I would say you are proficient in quite a lot of sort of personal wellness things. Is that, is that fair to say? I think so. I think all of us go on our own wellness journeys and I have a tendency when I learn something new, I just want to teach everybody about it. So I do, I do kind of go in all different directions. That is for sure. But I, I, I love learning and I love teaching what I do know about wellness. Cause I, I firmly believe everyone deserves to be well. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I wanted to ask you something maybe to, to kick things off here. So, so for those that are tuning in, uh, the, the title of today's podcast is achieving authentic wellness. Mm-hmm. And I thought that struck me uh, pretty quickly because, you know, most people talk about wellness and it's kind of this amoebic thing um, that is whatever. It's a constantly evolving definition as to what wellness is. But I was curious, what do we mean by authentic wellness? I mean, does that imply that there is a lot of inauthentic wellness or w- what does that mean exactly? So over the past year, I spent a lot of time really diving into what is my personal philosophy. And part of it was because I started my own podcast. And as you know, when you start a new project, you've really got to figure out what do I want this show to be about? What do I want this endeavor to be about? And I realized in all of my years of research and training as a pharmacist and doing all of the extracurricular learning and as far as supplements and essential oils and yoga and meditation and all those things, I realized that I can find a paper, a published study to tell me that anything is healthy or that anything is going to kill you. So everybody debates about like, what's the correct diet? Is it vegan? Is it paleo? Is it keto? Is it this? And is it high intensity interval training or is it yin yoga or is it hiking and outdoors activities to own a pet, to not own a pet? I just recognize there is no answer to any of these questions. There's no answer to any of these questions. There's some general consensus around diet and exercise and relationships and sleep and all of that. But I don't think that we stand any chance of becoming truly healthy and well until we embrace exactly who we are. And we accept roles within our life that allow us to be more authentic people. Because if we're living according to a diet that someone else has given us that makes us feel like crap, or if we're working out where we're sore the next day, where we hate doing it, where we're living in relationships that we don't want to be in anymore because of some false sense of obligation that we have, that is going to always be a detriment to wellness. So to me, authentically understanding who you are allows you 
to create the fluidity in your belief where you're not just dogmatically, oh, it's all allopathic medicine or it's, it's all natural medicine or nothing, or, you know, it's all CrossFit or nothing. You have to have that fluidity because as we learn more, we grow, we evolve. And as we age, our bodies are also going to need different things. I also think when we authentically accept who we are, it allows us to be more accepting and empathetic of others. And it allows us to engage in those tough conversations about inequality, about discrimination, about the freedom to make personal choices. I think it also allows surrender. And just like, this is supposed to be a journey. You're not going to arrive at healthy tomorrow. And I also think that when we authentically just are on this, this path of like, okay, I'm just going to learn and I'm going to learn from other people. And I am going to give myself the ability to allow my perceptions and my opinions to change. It allows us to take ownership and control of our own health destiny. We can't deny the setbacks of our past and we can't control the environment around us, but we can intentionally choose each day to do things and to craft thought patterns that allow us to embody authentic wellness. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's really, really well said. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad you went down that road. I was hoping uh, that you were going to go down that road because I've had this kind of similarly long held belief, although with far less expertise than you do, mine, I guess is more, you know, armchair uh, quarterback uh, version <laughs> of that, I suppose. But, um, you know, I, I always wonder, um, well, you know, first of all, I think that people tend to gravitate towards like the, the self-help in a box kind of formula. Like you said, you know, Hey, you can do, um, high intensity interval training, or you can go on this diet or that diet. And I think that a large degree that that's successful is because when you are looking at an incredibly fit person on Instagram or whatever that says, Hey, here's the formula that I go by. You don't have to think, you don't have to make it complicated. Mm -hmm. You don't have to come up with this solution that requires a lot of like inward thinking, you know, you just kind of say, cool, I'll, I'll have what they're having. Yeah. And I think it's kind of irresistible, right? But it's hard to figure out who you are sometimes, you know, it's hard to, to, to do that, right? I mean, I think that that is ultimately our life's work is to love ourselves enough to be who we are and to love ourselves enough. So where it, it, it overflows to where it's infectious to other people to just care enough about yourself to take care of yourself, you know, self-care is the most important form of healthcare. And I think that too many people do exactly what you said. And they're like, I'll do what she says to do. She's got a six pack. Well, what if your body was not designed to ever have a six pack, no matter what there are people of all different shapes and sizes. And we need to embrace that as a culture. And we also need to understand the social media is a game. It is a game that is played. And so I, I love the posts that are like Instagram reality where you get that, you know, this is what I look like when I 
you know, have been fasted for 24 hours and I haven't eaten and I haven't really had much water today and I'm looking like cut and I've did a week's worth of crazy workouts. And then this is what I look like when I'm like lounging with my friends on the beach after I've had, you know, a couple cocktails, both can be a part of a healthy life, but don't let social media fool you. It's a ruse. It's there to portray an image that sometimes is not, it's not authentic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, so, so you, I guess, prescribe to the thinking in terms of, um, I mean, let's stick with like physical health and, and diet and that sort of thing. Um, you, you mentioned that people have a lot of different body types and that some people just at the end of the day will never have, you know, whatever that look is that you're, that you're oh, going yeah. for. So like, do you attribute that? Like, are you thinking that from um, um, like a, like a heritage standpoint, like what part of the world are you from and how, how does that sort of make up your, your, your genetics or like, you know, where does that come from? Where does that logic come from? Well, if you think about Ayurvedic systems of medicine, Ayurveda divides body types into three primary body types. There is the Kapha body type, which is your earthy, grounded energy. And so if if this gets confusing to remember, just remember how would you, if you were to say like, oh, she is so earthy, what kind of woman do you envision? She's probably much more still, much more grounded, um, probably has a larger body build that is more connected to the earth. People typically have very thick, luxurious hair and they're slower to make decisions. And so the body type actually reflects some of the personality in Ayurvedic medicine. The next one is the pitta, is the pitta energy. And pitta people are fiery. So think of a woman that you would describe as fiery. So she is, number one, pitta people get hangry. Our, Mm. I am a pitta. I am very much a pitta. And so our digestive fire is just like burning through calories. And our body types tend to be, slimmer. Our hair tends to be thinner. Our nails tend to be thinner. And we tend to have the ability to have explosive anger. Whereas these earthy grounded people can get very sedentary and very lazy if they're not in balance. The third energy is the wind energy. So this is your Vata energy. So think of the people that you would describe as like, she's so airy. So these types of energies and both men and women are Kapha, Pitta, and Vata. And probably even just for my descriptions, do you have earthy grounded energy where you struggle with laziness and being a little bit overweight? Do you have Pitta energy where you're more fiery and you're more like, I gotta eat? Vata people, they are up in the clouds a little bit more. Their body types tend to be um, Victoria's Secret models, very tall, very thin, very narrow face, tend to have thinner hair, tend to have thinner nails because their energy flows like the wind. When they're not in balance, they tend to be forgetful and they just you know, they show up 15 minutes late for every single meeting and the Pitta people have been sitting there like, where are they? You know, and the, and the Kapha people are like, 
it's going to be okay. They're going to be here. They're going to be fine. But the, the Vata people are just like, oh, wow, we made it. We're all here. So even in very ancient understandings of medicine, there are people that are either genetically or because of the astrology signs that they were born under all of these things have more rounded body shapes, thinner, more fiery body shapes, and then thin, elongated, airy body shapes where they're very, very lanky and it reflects the personality. And these different types of people have different types of food that can help to support these different energies. Now you mentioned something interesting, which is genetics, because genetics does not always dictate body type. Look at what has happened to Native American tribes over a a simple course of a couple of generations, maybe four or five generations. Native American tribes tend to be very, very well-built tend to be thin, tend to have a combination of earthy energy, of fiery energy. But once they were transitioned um, to reservations and once they were rationed the standard American diet, um, some people call it the sad diet, other people call it the had diet, the horrible American diet, All of a sudden, people start, Native American people that had lived for generations in concert with the elements of the earth, start gaining weight and start getting massive amounts of diabetes and massive amounts of hypertension. And so it's not always genetics. If you take somebody who is ethnically Japanese, one of the healthiest um, genetic backgrounds in the planet, and you feed them a standard American diet, they will become fat and they will become an unhealthy, um, an unhealthy version of overweight. I firmly believe that there are some people who are pushing the bounds of overweight and may even be overweight that still can be very cardiovascularly fit, can still be very happy and well-balanced. And so I like to go back to Ayurveda when it comes, because I think that especially women and men as well, we beat ourselves up because we all think that we're supposed to be Vata. You know, we all think we're supposed to be this thin, elongated, floating energy. And it's just, it's never going to happen for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it definitely makes a lot of sense. And, and I was even going to say, as you were talking about that, I think the socioeconomic um, thing I would imagine has much more of a claim to stake in terms of how people turn out, because if you can, you know, it's like uh, eating well, costs a lot of money. And, you know, I would imagine if you're not, you know, financially uh, in a great spot, you know, if you have to choose between, you know, a few things to make a salad for whatever, $15 maybe. um, And like five things off of the dollar menu, you know, I mean, you're going to save money and you're going to, you're going to be more full. So for a short period of time, yeah. um, the problem that we face is there, oh gosh, we could go so many levels deep. I mean, if you even back up before you even get to the food that's at your corner grocery store, um, number one, my opinion is we live in the richest nation in the world. Why do we have food poverty and why do we have food scarcity and why do we have food deserts? If we take even one bigger step back, 
why do we mandate that companies label their food as, I guess it's not mandated, but consumers prefer when we're able to get organic food and we're able to see those non-GMO labels, why do we not require that companies are forced to tell us that, hey, what I'm putting into your food or what I'm putting into the environment is safe. We have a horrible history in this country of allowing the dumping of toxic chemicals, pesticides, herbicides, which has destroyed our soil, which is destroying our water systems, which is destroying the balance of nature that has sustained us for so long. So when we live in that society, all of a sudden, even if you are eating spinach every day, it is nutritionally lacking what it once had. And to your point, if I'm a single mom and I've got three kids to raise at home and it comes down to, can I feed my whole family for $15 or am I headed to the organic grocer and trying to put together a salad that's just not going to feel satiating for all of this family, I'm going to feed them the McDonald's or I'm going to feed them the fast food of whatever genre that there is, the processed food. But the problem with it is it's so nutritionally devoid that your body keeps screaming out, I need more food. I need more food. Now, what your body is actually screaming is probably I need more minerals and I need more vitamins and I need more phytochemicals, but we keep eating and eating and eating and we can never feed the beast because the food is so nutritionally devoid. So there are environmental policies that need to be taken into account. There are definitely food policies that need to be taken into account and Unfortunately, we do not live in a society that values health. And I think that that is a really, really big problem. That if we don't put the focus of our healthcare system on health instead of illness, we're never going to make any progress because none of the things I'm telling you cost that much money. Like I can tell you to sleep well. I can tell you to stress less. I can tell you to do one minute of yoga of one minute of, of flossing your teeth, all of these things that ultimately lead to wellness, but it's not a blockbuster drug. It's not a thing that's going to make billions and billions of dollars. And we have to somehow break that cycle or else we will continue to devolve in greater and greater patterns of metabolic dysfunction as a society and metabolic dysfunction as a society puts us at risk for every other dysfunction and stress dysfunction as a society puts us at risk for every other disease. You know, you look at stress levels and you're talking worsening of cardiovascular outcomes, of thyroid outcomes, of sex steroid outcomes. You're talking infertility. You're talking insomnia. You're talking everything. When I was in pharmacy school, it was estimated that 75% of visits to doctors were somehow stress-related. Now it's estimated Mm. that over 80% of doctor's visits are somehow stress-related. 88% of Americans are metabolically unhealthy. And when you're metabolically unhealthy, you're body is just so like, I don't, it goes into panic mode. It doesn't know what to do. So it becomes less important 
to work on your immune system. It becomes less important to work on your mental health because your body is like, I don't have CoQ10 here. I don't have insulin here. Every single cell that I have is covered in sugar and advanced glycolated in products, which makes us more at risk for every single adverse outcome out there. Do you think that um, I, I've heard, and, I, and I'm, I'm unfortunately not going to remember the name of the documentary that I saw uh, a couple of years ago, but essentially, uh, you know, to kind of paraphrase and sum the whole thing up was that cancer can be traced back to stress is, is, is the, was the gist of it is the idea that being stressed out can manifest a physical outcome. So in other words, you're whatever, your job's not going well, you've been fighting with your spouse, your, uh, you know, children are well, yeah, whatever, you know, all the things that people tend to deal with. And, you know, you almost kind of like, and, you know, out pops this, um, you know, this little teeny, teeny bit thing that will eventually become cancerous. Yeah. And um, it was really interesting to me. I wish I could remember the name of this documentary. It's going to drive me crazy. I'll, I'll probably come up with it like five minutes after we're done talking. But Oh, I, um, I, I hate when that happens. When I'm talking to somebody and I'm like, and it's called, um, 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 and then you're like, oh, forget it. Let's just talk about it. Oh, the worst. Here's my opinion. If you were to sum up in one word, what is the root cause of all disease? It's inflammation. It's inflammation. And stress leads to a lot of adverse outcomes. So digestive problems, fertility problems, urinary problems. Stress basically destroys the immune system, putting us more prone to viral infections such as the flu and the common cold. People have headaches, sleep trouble, back pain, depression, anxiety, the list goes on and on and on. Now, when it comes to cancer, I know that people who are under stress tend to develop bad behaviors. People start smoking, they overeat, which leads to metabolic disease and also feeds cancer since sugar in a lot of ways feeds cancer. People start drinking alcohol all of which increase the risk of activating and turning on oncogenes where your body says, okay, well, we're not taking care of ourselves. And so we're just going to turn on these genes that says, make cancers, make cancers. And so not all stress is equally harmful. Sometimes stress can be really good for us. We can strengthen our cardiovascular system. It can strengthen our ability to be able to burn fat. But when you're under chronic stress all day long, it creates a cycle of inflammation that weakens your immune system, which doesn't just lead to that increased risk of infections and also more difficult to treat infections, but it also impairs your body's ability to fight off cancer. Plus the positioning around cancer is also very concerning because people get diagnosed with cancer and they're like, that's it. I'm done punching the clock. I'm out. It does not have to be that way. It does not have to be that way. You got to this point through a series of healthcare decisions that led to cancer. 
view it instead of a death sentence as an opportunity to take an authentic look at your wellness practices and say, well, I'm not blaming myself because no diagnosis is anyone's fault. It's no one's fault. It is an opportunity to course correct and say, you know what? I watched that documentary about the Gerson method and maybe I will try juicing as a part of my cancer treatment. Well, you know what? I read that um, going into chemotherapy treatments in a fasted state decreases the side effects of chemotherapy because when you're in a fasted state, all of your healthy cells are like, well, crap, we don't have any sugar to run on. We're sitting here running on ketones. We might as well go a little bit slower. Cancer cells can't do that. Those oncogenes are just like, go, 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 go. And so you can also enlist the loving support of friends and family and community as a way to help you deal with the stress. So I'm a huge proponent of stress management, be it through meditation, be it through uh, deleting the crazy jerks that are always sending you weird articles that you're like, oh, I don't want to read this. <laughs> Just delete them from your phone, people. If you're in a toxic relationship, get out of it. Get out of it. It does not take that much crazy to say, I'm better than this. And I, I deserve a life where I get to authentically be who I am because that is the only way that I will craft authentic wellness. So in a lot of ways, stress is related to cancer. I would love to watch this documentary. You gotta, you gotta find it and dredge it up and put it in those show notes so we can all yeah, watch it. Yeah. Well, you know, what's funny too, is you actually made another point uh, that kind of uh, leads into another main theme that, that was mentioned on this, uh, which is that, so suppose you know, you, you get a uh, you know, stage three or stage four type of diagnosis. And, you know, maybe you've got like a, a only a 25% chance of, of survival. And like you said, uh, I think that, and, and granted, I mean, I've not had cancer before, but I think that for the most part, like, as you said, people just sort of go, well, you know, that's that time to get my affairs in order. Um, and it's interesting because 25% of the people that get that survive. And, you know, I think that that's something that's worth thinking about it beyond just, oh, 25, 75. It's like, no, that's a huge number. I mean, right. and, and I, it makes me wonder if everyone had the opinion upon diagnosis that, well, hey, you know, I could very easily be one of those 25% just so long as I, like you said, course correct. And, and maybe I start making better, healthier decisions. And then it makes you wonder, well, could that maybe 25% number be, you know, 35%? And I, and I think a lot of it just comes down to like, how optimistic are you? Or are you just going to give up? Oh, the value of positivity and optimism in the face of stressors has just innumerable benefits. I mean, people, I was just teaching this the other day, people who are self-reported to be optimistic are less likely to die than people who are self-reported to be pessimistic. And for those of you that are like me, that are just black clouds hanging over <laughs> the world all the time. Yes. I mean, you have to actively work to be positive. You have to actively work not to allow little things to throw you into this lie. It's called a cognitive distortion 
And um, Cheryl Sandberg writes about it in her book, Option B. And she says that there are three P's that prevent us from being able to move on past traumas, past um, stressful events. There is there's a pervasiveness. Everything is wrong. You know what? You spilt a glass of water this morning. Don't tell yourself that everything is wrong because dang it, you still got a roof over your head. You know, so everything is not wrong. The next thing is persistence. It will always be this bad. And I think that that has been a collective feeling that we have been going through for a long time, that life will always be this bad. Um, That is a cognitive distortion. Mm. It is not an accurate reflection of reality. The third one is personalization. Everything is bad and it will always be bad because I made it bad. All of those things are lies. And if you're in the midst of a situation where something's gone wrong or you just don't know what to do, if you catch yourself in any of those lies, stop, take a step back and allow yourself to look at the facts of a situation, you know, look at the facts of a situation um, and allow it to bring peace and calm over you because the fact of it is we can't control anything that's happening around us. We can only control our internal response to that. And I heard Ryan holiday say recently, he's like, you think the world is hard now? The world has always been hard. It's what being on earth is about. It's what we came here to do is to go through the discomfort, the uneasiness, the like, yeah, what is going on? Because those are the lessons and the prices that we pay to become better people. I mean, imagine what your life would be like had you never faced any adversity when you don't face any adversity, there's real problems to that. Number one, you lack empathy for people who do face adversity, which leads to greater inequalities and greater discriminations. You also have a tendency to become more narcissistic where you tell yourself, this is mine because I deserve it. This is mine because I deserve it. And no one else can have it. No one else can have it. And we see that still taking place to this day where Unfortunately, people who are the richest of the rich have influence and sway to where they ensure that that wealth gets even more narrowed within their tight circles when it saddens me so much to go, you could give so much and never even feel it. You know, I, I look at, and I, I don't know if we want to go here or not, but here I go. Let's Um, go. I look at, I look at the difference between Jeff Bezos and his ex-wife Mackenzie. So Jeff Bezos is the owner of Amazon, the richest man in the world. When he and his wife, uh, Mackenzie got divorced, she got 35% of Amazon stock. She got something insane, like $80 billion, a hundred billion dollars, like more money than most of us can fathom in the past year. What did Mackenzie do? Mackenzie gave away $6 billion 
to charity. She gave away $6 billion. She got $94 billion, $84 billion sitting in the bank. She doesn't even feel it. Her 1% of interest that she's accruing on a long-term savings account without even bothering to put it into investment portfolios and all of these offshore strategies and this and that has led to so many people. She gave $6 billion. One of the recipients was the YWCA. How many women have roofs over their head and are getting fed and are able to take a shower and are able to learn some skill sets just because she said, I don't need all of this. I don't need all of this. On the other hand, you have Jeff Bezos, who, if he wanted to, could give a $130,000 bonus to every single Amazon employee worldwide and still have the same net worth as he had before the lockdown started in March. Right. Well, went up like 700% since March or, or you know, some, some insane Found, number. Founder of Instacart's wealth has expanded five hundred percent this year and you look at other people who are just they're they're making money hand over fist while people are losing their livelihoods and that is a kapha imbalance that is too much earthy energy where i am i it's all mine it's greed i gotta have it it is honestly an insecurity to where people think it's mine and i deserve it and I am going to sit in this and I am going to manipulate tax code and tax law by donating to major campaigns to where then I can ensure that my great, 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 great grandchildren are still billionaires. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I miss the ideals of the bootstrapped American, you know, because you yeah. look at, you look at the original bootstrapped Americans who are like Andrew Carnegie, Andrew Carnegie made a fortune in his lifetime. And by the time he died, he gave it all away. And he told his children, do what I did work, put the work in. And so I think that there is so much opportunity to craft empathy towards our common man. And it all starts, remember, with authenticity and knowing who you are so that you can begin the acceptance of others. And, you know, not to completely shortchange uh, Jeff Bezos, but uh, you do recall that he was able to donate a $10 turkey voucher to his employees. What a guy. What a guy. <laughs> I don't know if you heard that story. Oh, Lord. Oh, that, that makes my skin crawl. It makes my right. skin crawl. Oof. Plus, like a $10 turkey. Like, what, what is that? The size of a, of a pheasant? A tur- that's, a, that's not even a turkey leg at Disneyland. That yeah, that's like a pigeon. Even- no, that you, you, you're lucky if you get in a pigeon. You might get a New York City street pigeon for $10, but you go to some fancy French restaurant and order the squab off the menu. Guess what? It's going to cost you more than $10. Right. Yes. It's just there's an opportunity for us to take a step back and go, dang, if everybody had what I had had, because I'm willing to bet listeners that if you take a hard look around the world, a lot of people have not had what you have had. Even if you've had a tough life, single parent, parent incarcerated, lived with an alcoholic, all these other things, you probably had shoes. You probably went to school. You probably ate once a day, you know, which is not something everybody has. And I wish we could all just resonate and sit and stay in that collective 
I am here as a part of humanity and how can I be more empathetic to others? First, I have to be true to myself and I have to release all of my bad tendencies, whether it be greed, whether it be angry outbursts, whether it be codependency in relationships, whether it be inability to speak up for yourself, whatever it is, when we look at the worst parts of ourselves and say, let me start there, we gain a lot. We gain so much. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that. So for whatever reason, um, lately I have been becoming interested in the psychology of like what happens as people become like filthy, filthy rich, where, where they, you know, sort of decide maybe to be greedy. And of course that's not true with everybody. You look at like the Bill and Melinda Gates foundation and like, there's plenty of, you know, good things out there. Right. But, you know, I was, I was talking about this with my wife um, a couple of days ago and, and I started getting on the thought process that maybe like it's, it's very irresistible to compare yourself to people that are sort of in your social circle or maybe in your, this, this, the circle of your colleagues, right? Those are the kind of the people that you tend to like, what are they up to? What am I up to? How do we, you know, compare with each other? And I think that as people, you know, sort of level up, I guess, in terms of um, their brand or their earnings and, and, and things of that nature, you now enter like this new circle of, of comparison, right? Because as soon as you get to that next rung of the ladder, there's always going to be somebody Well, I've been on this rung for six years. So I know it better than you. And it's almost like you, it's, it's very easy. I think for people to shed, well, where was I a week ago or a year ago or five years ago? It it doesn't matter because I'm here now. And, And I think if you're a pretty motivated and ambitious person, which is good, it's, it's probably pretty easy to get caught up in like, well, I'm here now and I'm a little bit jealous of, of, of this person. There was a, um, God, I can't remember (laughs) again. I'm not going to draw a blank, but, but somebody was talking to, are you familiar with um, Malcolm Gladwell? Oh yes. Okay. So somebody was talking to, to to Malcolm Gladwell about this like billionaire uh, friend of, of this person and, and like the three of, this person, Malcolm Gladwell and this billionaire friend, we're going to like all have lunch together or something. And, and Malcolm Gladwell says something about, Oh, I'm, I'm so excited to meet this person because he's Malcolm Gladwell. Like he's always wondering how people tick yeah. and what a, you know, better experiment to meet with a, a billionaire to just, sure. oh, I'm going to ask this guy some questions. And what happened apparently was they went to lunch Malcolm Gladwell had this, you know, probably huge list of like things he wanted to uncover. And the only thing that this guy talked about was how some other billionaire had, you know, $3 billion more than him. And, you know, he just couldn't believe it. And he was like, he just brought nothing to the table of interest besides that. Right. There was a psychology experiment whereby they sat kids, adolescents at a monopoly board and One person started out with double the money than the other person. That person with double the money got to roll both dice every turn. The person with half of the money got to roll one die each time. And you would think that a 10-year-old would take a step back and go, this is rigged. Like, I have more money to begin with. I get to take more plays than the other person. I... 
I'm, I'm robbing this person blind. It doesn't happen. Game after game after game, kids will continue to think that they earned it. They earned it. I love also, I don't know if you guys have seen the video on social media where they line up a group of teenagers and they say, we're going to explain what privilege is. Cause I think a lot of people are uncomfortable with the concept of privilege because, you know, we all say, well, I went through this and I went through that. And it's like, well, yes, we all have setbacks, but it asks simple questions. Like, were you raised in a home with two parents? Okay. If, if yes, take a step forward. Right. Were either of your parents ever incarcerated? If no, take a step forward. Did family members freely give you money, $10, $20 at Christmas? If yes, take a step forward. Did you eat to your heart's content every day? If yes, take a step forward. Did you go to college? Step forward. And so there's all these layers of things that we're entrained to think that we deserve when, if you look at the happiest people in the world, you look at Denmark, Denmark is statistically the people who are the most optimistic, the most positive in the world. You know, people in Denmark pay up to 50% of their income in taxes, but it's like, it goes to the greater good. And so everybody gets an education and everybody gets safe roads and everybody gets safe neighborhoods and everybody gets prisons that don't do more toxicity than what was toxic to begin with. And it's a beautiful, beautiful system that we can live in. It just is very hard to get to that point because we're so entrained to say, well, I deserve this, you know, given a different set of circumstances, I could have been born to a mother with a straw hut and no shoes in Africa and have died of malaria when I was a baby, you know, if not for somebody coming and saying, you need a mosquito net. Hey, this is actually an easy to treat medical condition. Just come on to my, cl there's so many layers of inequities that I don't think we want to see, but when you can see it, it just makes your heart grow so very, very much. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. Um, and I try to do that myself, you know, I'm not perfect at it, I mean, I, I suffer from the same, um, you know, toxic things periodically that other people, um, I guess suffer from, but I, you know, I, I try to, I try to really appreciate, um, moments as best I can. I, I think my wife is probably kind of like you in that you, you, you're very, um, you know, you obviously practice wellness. It's, you've, you know, made your whole career <laughs> around it. Um, so, you know, she is kind of the reminder for me about, you know, like get off your phone mm. and, you know, uh, quit worrying about, oh, I, you know, should have bought more Tesla in March or what, you know what I mean? Just like, just stop and mm. appreciate the fact that, you know, I, you still bought some Tesla in March and you've got a yeah, beautiful I was about daughter. To say, how many of your listeners bought some Tesla in March, you know? Um, yeah. You know, so, it, but it's like, it, it really, when you stop and think about it, you go, that is pretty dumb because it's like, you turn some money into a little bit more money. Like what, what, what are you unhappy? Like you should be thrilled that that was the case. 
and you know, your beautiful daughter is, is laughing about something like get off your phone and, and just, because, you know, it's always one of those things where you, I think people don't realize it until whatever, 15 years go by. And then you go, man, I would do anything to have my two-year-old daughter just laughing and giggling about, you know, some whatever, you know what I mean? I would do anything to, to, to get that moment back. Somebody just taught me this exercise yesterday, and I think it is such an easy way to introduce a little bit of gratitude into your life. Of course, gratitude journaling is great, even if it's just one sentence a day of something that you're grateful for. Amazing. Yesterday, somebody taught me something called red light gratitude, because what is more frustrating than being stuck in traffic or stuck at a red light? And my, my preacher growing up, always says, don't even call it a red light, call it a traffic light. That one small cognitive shift in your language is going to make you like, oh, well, sometimes traffic lights are red and sometimes they're yellow and sometimes they're green. Red light gratitude is where whenever you are at a red light, you turn the music down and you start saying, out loud. I am grateful for this. And I am grateful for that. And it would be such an amazing family activity. And of course your, you know, 13 year old is going to balk at it when they get there, but they won't. If you start when they're really young, it's just going to become a part of daily routines. One of my friends growing up in her house, they had evenings that were forced family fun and you couldn't just show up. You had to have fun. And she said it was so powerful for her as a teenager when she would be in a just ticked off mood where hormones are going crazy, but her dad would show up and have fun. Her mom would show up and have fun no matter what was going on in their life. They put aside the stress of the day. They put aside whatever bickering was going on between them and they all showed up and have fun. Go to a family event and every single person just put your phone in the, put it on a table face down and nobody touch it for an hour. I guarantee you whatever social media alerts are currently threatening to steal your serenity will still be there when you get done. It will still be there when you get done. I know that this is, you know, we're getting, we're at the beginning of the year and a lot of people are like, it's new year's resolution time. And I wanted to share one more gratitude practice that was taught to me by a gentleman named Andrew Cap, and he was on um, my podcast. I think his episode launches tomorrow, actually. But he said, look, your brain cannot differentiate between what you're grateful for in the past, what you're grateful for now, and what you're grateful for in the future, unless you speak about them all in the present tense. So imagine if... You sat down right now, as soon as this podcast is over or put us on pause and come back and listen to the rest later and leave a comment about how this exercise changed your life and sit there and say, okay, five things I was grateful for as a child. I'm so grateful that my parents stayed married. I'm so grateful that I have, uh, I'm so grateful that I've ra- that I was raised in this house. Speak about it in the present tense. It's hard to do. I am grateful I have a home and think about that as a five-year-old kid. Now come into your present day and I'm grateful to be having this conversation with you right now. I'm grateful to have a podcast studio where I don't have to do anything except flip on equipment. 
then think about things that you're grateful for in the future. One of my major goals this year is I've always wanted to go at least a hundred days without uh, drinking any alcohol because your liver can completely regenerate. And so I always do dry January and then I'm hosting a cleanse in February. And so I was like, dang, I'm already going to be like seven weeks into that. I'm just going to keep going. And so I can tell myself, like, I am so grateful that I haven't had alcohol in a hundred days. And then you take all those past, present, future, and you rearrange them into a random order. And then you read it out to yourself and your brain kind of has muscle confusion and it can't differentiate between what has happened in the past, what is happening now and what's happening in the future. And you start to cast that vision for, I am so grateful. I made $50,000 this year. I'm so grateful. I made a hundred thousand dollars this year. I'm so grateful that I was able to quit my job this year. I'm so grateful that I am self-employed. So as many statements as you can say that begin with, I am so grateful I am the better and just say it about the past, present and future, mix it all up and then say it out loud to yourself and begin to envision and manifest the life that you would like to lead. Hmm. That's really interesting. And, and I have to say, I've never heard that before. So that's a, that's a cool exercise. Um, yeah, I'll definitely give that a shot. It. Yeah. yeah, give it a shot. Let me know how it goes. Yeah, yeah, I will for sure. That's that's really cool. Hey, I, I wanted to ask you too, um, how did you sort of end up choosing this path? What, what, was it some sort of a recognition at some point in your life of like, oh, I'm going down this road and I want to change it? Or was it just sort of, you know, you were influenced by somebody? Like how how does, how does you know, Dr. Lindsay Elmore become who she is today? I have a degree in chemistry and a doctorate in pharmacy. And then I did two years of postdoc in pharmacy and my transition away from kind of this prescribed path of pharmacy, you get, you get that pun, um, away from that path was when I was a first year pharmacy student, I tore my ACL and two profound things happened to me. One was when you, when you, tear your ACL, they lock your knee out in a brace and it causes an aberration in your walking patterns where you're constantly hiking a hip up every Mm -hmm. single time you walk. Well, all of a sudden I'm studying for school one day and I realize I can't sit on my sitting bones. My hips were completely out of alignment from hiking it every single step I took. That landed me in the chiropractor's office, which I was like, well, this is kind of cool chiropractor. Uh, everybody says it's quackery, but um, I disagree uh, because it's I, it, it, like one day <laughs> hips back in right. alignment. Never, you know, never had to go back and be reset. The next thing that happened was I, the chiropractor, I happened to mention her like, I haven't slept in a month and I think I may die. And I had tried the sleeping pills and I'm like, this is not, this is not a way to live because yeah, you sleep on the sleeping pills, but you wake up feeling like weird and tired. Um, Yeah, totally. And because it disrupts your REM sleep, you're not getting any REM sleep. And as anybody knows, 
if even if you're used to if you're used to sleeping pills, you can just keep taking them and you can keep fighting the sleep and getting to like a more delirious state. And so I, I, I was like, okay, I don't want to keep doing this. And so the chiropractor said, you should go to the acupuncturist. Well, the acupuncturist like completely opened my eyes that there was a completely different concept of medicine in five point acupuncture. So I began to study that. She began to give me Chinese herbs. I began to look those up and wonder what they were and how we can do the, how we can introduce them into allopathic medicine. And when I was amidst all of this, a third thing happened that changed my life forever. I met Connie Grouds, who is a pharmacist, who is also a Peruvian Amazonian shaman. So she went down and practiced shamanic medicine. She practiced pharmacy slash shamanic medicine for a while at the University of Minnesota. And she gave a presentation that I was like, just so my eyes were just open. And I went to her and I was in tears and I said, this has happened to me. This is going on in my life. My ACL, this insomnia, this, 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 that. And she stopped me and she said, why did you need this injury? Why did you need this injury? And from then on, any time that I have faced a setback, that I have had a struggle, that I have just said, you know, a lot of people are like, why did this happen? Why God, why? If you really take it in and say, why did I need this, this thing to happen? I mean, nobody wants to tear their ACL. Nobody wants something bad to happen to their family members. But just like we mentioned with the cancer diagnosis, you can either lay down and wallow in that, or you can say, dang, what is this here to teach me? How can I grow and evolve and become a better person, even if the outcome is ultimately death? The Sad Guru said that the way that we become happy is by acknowledging our own mortality because every day in the world, about one in 10 people dies, you know, every day there's that many people born. So we keep repopulating the earth. So if you woke up today and the 10 people that you love the most also woke up today, you are doing better than the majority of people on this planet. And that is something to be deeply grateful for. And so I think that that put me on a journey to where I started learning about supplements. I started learning about herbs. I started practicing a little bit of yoga, started practicing a little bit of meditation. And then a major turning point happened in my life. I was practicing pharmacy and I just got so frustrated with the practice of pharmacy because I mean, first and foremost, nobody understands what a pharmacist does. I never was the pharmacist behind the counter dispensing pills. That was not my job. I I only saw patients, but I would see the same patients just month after month after month, diabetes getting worse, obesity getting worse, hypertension, high cholesterol, all of it getting worse, pain getting worse, asthma, not getting better, all these things. And I was like, wait a minute, drugs don't work. They, they, they'll keep your, your, they'll keep your disease state just tapped down enough 
to where you meet these guideline recommendations for this is healthy. Forget all of that. I want you to actually heal and not have diabetes and not have hypertension and not have insomnia and not have asthma. And that may mean that we have to change your diet. And that may mean that we have to make some difficult decisions. And it may mean that you have to quit smoking. It may mean that you have to get a divorce out of someone who is an abusive partner to you. You have to make those tough decisions in order to achieve authentic wellness. And so it was a journey. I also just shout out to essential oils have been a huge part of my journey. I, I remember getting my first kit of essential oils and I, I recognized instantly that my life was going to change. And, um, since then I've been to about 35 countries to speak about essential oils and supplements cool. and yoga and healthcare and wellness and all the things. And so it was a journey. Um, I'm currently still on the journey. I have completed my first step of becoming a functional medicine certified practitioner. So I finished my introductory modules and then I have, um, nine or 10 months worth of advanced practice modules, and then I'll be certified there. And life is, a, a life is a, an evolution. And like I started the conversation, the more fluid that you can be, in like, wow, I used to think this way. And now I've come to recognize that I need to think that way. And that can be so powerful when you just surrender into the journey is here. I am not in control of everything. I am only in control of my response to it. Yeah, it, it does really seem, first of all, thanks. That was, that was an awesome that was a great story. Thank um, you. It, it, it seems like just, just those little shifts in mentality can often be the thing that just slightly changes your trajectory in space time. And it's like, that's the, you know, 40 years later, it's this gigantic uh, difference, you know? Um, and it's, it's, it's really cool to, to hear you say that. Did, did you end up like, um, you know, while this transitioning transition was happening, I, 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 I've got to figure that there's this sort of like, I don't know, um, like old boys club of like, of like medicine people versus like the, <laughs> you know, like the, the weird medicine people. Oh yes. <laughs> I mean, was that odd for you to almost be like, man, I've spent so much time and money like doing all this. And now I'm sort of disagreeing with the system. And like, yeah. did, was that a, was that an issue? It wasn't for me because of two reasons. Number one, you can never take my education from me. You will never be able to take my education from me. And so if you're, I, I get contacted by student pharmacists all the time and they say, uh, I'm kind of realizing this isn't what I was cracked up to be. And I was like, welcome to the club and physicians do it too, because physicians are basically bookkeepers at this point. They, we've lost the practice of medicine. You know, medicine is a laying on of hands. Medicine is a physical touch and being able to actually care genuinely from your heart for another person. We lost pharmacy a long time ago. Pharmacy used to be basically an advanced practice botanist who knew how to make medical preparations out hmm. of plants. Um, we used to practice pharmacognosy is now what it is called. And there's been this huge call about like, we need pharmacognosy, which is basically learning about plants that act as medicine. What a novel idea back into curriculum. And so 
you know, I basically got fired from like every committee that I was on in national pharmacy organizations, because if any of the leaders of national pharmacy organizations are listening, they're taking way too much money from big pharma and it all perpetuates one message of this is health. And if you don't prescribe to this version of health, you're wrong. You know, you're, right. you're, you're not there, but I just recognized nobody can ever take my education for me. And the more that I learn and grow, and also it's very important for me to talk the talk. Um, I've had some friends look at my human design readings as well as some master hand analyses and a lot of these more esoteric ways of understanding yourself, be it astrology or be it your chakra systems or be it looking in um, Chinese medicine or Ayurveda, whatever it is. And one of the things that's critically important to me is I have to be on this evolution the reason that I have to be on this evolution is because it inspires other people to begin or continue an evolution. And dang it, if that's what God put me here on earth to do, heck yes, I want to keep be signed up for that. Do, do I look forward to not drinking alcohol for a hundred days? No, that sounds terrible. But I know that after I get to the end of that, I'm going to be like, I just accomplished something that I haven't done since I was a kid, you know, since I was first starting to drink in college. Like I've never given it this conscious momentous thought that I can continue to grow and evolve and become a better person, no matter what constraints are put around me. I've been so inspired by people who have been wrongfully incarcerated and found God or found Buddha or find meditation practices and spend 15 years on death row before ultimately either being killed or getting exonerated. And people ask them like, how did you stay sane? No one can steal your inner environment. You can only give it away. So was it hard for me to leave pharmacy no, because I had a real cush job waiting for me um, in natural wellness. Now, it was scary when I went out on my own and started my first company. Um, it's always scary to start new companies, but you do it, you grow, and there's nothing like a bit of healthy fear push you and motivate you and say, dang it, I'm going to turn, I'm going to come out better on the other side of this. And so if you are someone who's really struggled in the past year with fear, how can you transmute that fear into creative endeavors, into more healthy behaviors? Because as you said, you know, Success, as Darren Hardy says, success is a series of mundane tasks that you're willing to do every single day. Just today, I was listening to a podcast about one tiny habit, one tiny habit. So feeling bad about yourself, floss one tooth, do one push up, make your bed 
one time in the morning, drink one glass of water, do one tiny habit because you know how habits work. Once you've got the floss out and you floss between your two front teeth, you're like, well, I might as well hit a few more. You know, once you do one push up, you're like, okay, well, I can do two. I think that January is a time when we take too much on ourselves. It's it's weight loss. I got to do totally. gym. I got to do all these things. You're setting yourself up for failure. What if instead your goals were like, so painfully easy in your head that you said, there's no way I can fail. There's no way I can fail. So if you want to run a 5k, don't go outside and try to run a 5k today. Can you run a hundred yards and 110 yards tomorrow? Can you run 10 yards today and 20 yards tomorrow? Set yourself up for success in doses of small incrementally beneficial changes that add over time. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Um, and I, and I do think that the January, um, like new year's resolution thing is like such bullshit. It always always drives me crazy because it's like, it's, it's just a date. You know what I mean? It's just an arbitrary date. I mean, get into something, not because it's in vogue, you know, get into something because you really want to want to do it. You you know what I mean? That's how I look at that. Yep. Yep. I know. I know. Get in, get into something because it brings you true joy. I mean, you know, I don't know how many of you've seen the Marie Kondoing effect where, you know, if your house is cluttered, you know, a cluttered house is one of the easiest ways to increase stress. And you look around and you go, does this object serve a purpose or does it bring me joy? And ask yourself that about your behaviors too. Does this action serve a purpose? You know, I don't like running payroll for my company, but I really like it when my employees get paid. And I really like it when I get paid since I'm on my own payroll. Um, It doesn't, it serves a purpose. But then throwing a Christmas party or a holiday party for my employees doesn't serve really any purpose, but it brings joy. It brings camaraderie. It brings fellowship. And so look around your life. And when you have to do those tough things, you know, and just suck it up and you got to do it. Okay. This serves a purpose for me. I I do not want to take down this Christmas tree that is behind me. Mm. I was going to ask you what, when, when do you typically take that down? Normally I take it down on January 1st, but I was out of town on January 1st this year. So, but it's coming down on Saturday. And I told, I told my boyfriend, I was like, cause we have two, this is just one Christmas tree. Okay. And the other one is far more extensive than this one. And I told him, I was like, this is going to take me all day long, but it's going to happen. And it serves a purpose to where it's not still sitting here in March going like, Ooh, why am I so lazy? Yeah. So yeah, it's coming down. I promise. <laughs> we're, we're having a civil war here at, at, at our house because I'm like Mr. January 1st. It, it, Cause to me, it's like, I don't know. There's that, that weird, like minty fresh feeling of the new year where I'm like, mm-hmm. why am I still looking? Like, I love Christmas. I, I, we, we went all crazy because I wanted the toddler to come down and have that Christmas moment. You know what I mean? But yeah, once it's January 1st, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm done with this. And, and my wife, I mean, honestly, she would keep the tree there till July 
Uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> she, she would just do it. You're like, no, 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 this feeling will never leave. Okay. All right. If, if you want to do a solid by your wife, you get decorations for every holiday. I know so many women that do this crap where she can take all the Christmas decorations and now it's New Year's decorations and then it's Valentine's decorations. Right. And and I remember a friend of mine, his wife loves Christmas and they always had a standoff because he's like, the tree does not go up until the day after Thanksgiving. And she would just be begging and begging and begging. And um, he ended up last year as part of her Christmas present, hiring people to come in and they put the whole house decorated for Christmas on November wow. 1st. And his wife, cried and it just she was amazed and in awe and so I think oftentimes in partnerships it becomes very much like I want it this way but then where are those moments where you just surrender and just say if this makes them so dang happy why do I care why do I care you know so I don't know might give that a go, putting it up on November 1st and have a better shot of getting it down by January 1st. Yeah. <laughs> That's a decent compromise, right? Just start a little bit earlier. Start a little earlier. Yeah. I'll have to look up this company that, that, yeah. that does that sort of thing. Oh, there's um, tons of them. Uh, Dr. Elmore, is there any stuff that you'd like to, to plug before we, uh, we get off of this thing? I mean, where can people find you and how do we, sure. how do we go about learning from you? You can come to lindsayelmore.com. You can also follow me on social media at Lindsay Elmore and at Dr. Lindsay Elmore on Pinterest. So at Lindsay Elmore on, um, Instagram and Facebook, you can find my podcast on anywhere you listen to podcasts. And if you guys would like to start a simple gratitude journal. I have a free handout that is a hundred days of gratitude. One sentence each day, head to lindsayelmore.com slash gratitude to grab that free download. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, this has been one of my favorite ones, uh, so far. So I, I really appreciate it and, um, happy new year. Happy new year to you. Thank you so much for having me. Okay. Take care. Thanks for tuning in this week. We would love for you to be part of our next discussion. Join our live events happening every week at BeFunBeKind.com. See you soon.